1: on CBS Sports. I'm Tom Fernelli. He's Bud Elliott. He's Danny Cannell. And uh, we are back to you again without Chip. Chip is still in prison. We can't tell you why, but we're hoping to get him out soon. We're raising up bail money. It would help us raise that bail money if you hit the like button on this video, if you're watching live or even if you're watching later after we've recorded. And also if you subscribe to the Cover 3 channel on YouTube helps us sell ad revenue and it helps us get Chip out of prison for all of his legal run-ins. The man just cannot stay out of trouble. Uh, other than that, fellas, that was a pretty awkward transition. How are you this morning? How are you on this Thursday? Danny, I know that you are upset with D.R. DeRozan. Hey, I would never speak negatively about a 10 year old girl attending
2: an NBA game. There was some sounds that were during the game that were kind of annoying and distracting. And obviously the Raptors felt the same way. So, but she is the MVP
1: of the night for sure. I was obviously I was watching the game last night. I was watching it with Lynn, and Lynn was like, "Who is that person <laughs> screaming during every freaking?" And then I we found out who it was. I was like, "That's Damar's daughter." And it's like, "Oh, it's so cute." Like it went <laughs> from like "Oh," to "Ah," oh, real quick. <laughs> so. All right,
0: I didn't watch the game. I was watching what? the Rays. The Rays cruise to 12 and 0. Look at that. 12 and 0. The Rays are just new. I thought you were watching Wemby highlights. New night, new new stud pitcher just, just striking everybody out. Love it. And Wander uh, Franco, 2-2 two, two out doubles, clutch. Yeah. All right. Her or the Vandy Whistler, who is more <laughs> annoying as a like c- crowd distraction
1: oh, noise? Did the Whistler. Yeah, the Vandy Whistler passed okay. recently, didn't he? Uh, I didn't know Whistler. about that. I, I thought I heard that. I don't know. I think Mincy from Barstool killed him, but it's Jordan. Yeah. Can you check that so we don't just
0: accidentally kill off the Vandy Whistler <laughs> on the <this> show? <laughs> just <laughs> his
1: gone. We're like, yeah, he's dead. Rest in peace. And if you're still alive, we're kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I would probably go with the Vandy Whistler I think yeah I think the screaming because like I think during the free throws it was actually kind of funny especially when you saw that it was effective like she was changing up her timing and you could tell the Raptors were expecting it to come. And like the guy would be like, he'd be shooting, and be waiting for it. It wouldn't come and he'd start. And then as he's about to release the ball, you would just hear it. And it was effective. Anyways, <laughs> good for her. She will not be at the game on Friday, unfortunately, because DeMar said that he's making her go back to school. She already missed one day. He's not going to let her miss two. Speaking of people returning, however, that's a transition. Cliff Kingsbury has returned from Thailand long before he said he was going to, he told us originally he was buying a one-way ticket after he was fired by the Arizona Cardinals. And he didn't know when he would come back. Well, He is back. He's getting an offensive analyst. or I'm sorry, a senior offensive analyst. I think when you get senior on it, it comes with a pay bump. At USC, on Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley said about the hire, he's going to be invaluable to have on the staff. It was the right fit for him and us. He knows a number of the staff guys. There's familiarity and a comfort level there. So, uh but does does adding Cliff Kingsbury to the offensive mind trust make USC a national title contender? In Europe? of course,
0: no. But it, yeah. <laughs> it makes maybe make him even more of a contender for uh, for Raiola, the quarterback that we seem to talk about weekly on this show. Uh, the latest there, maybe Georgia trending for him. USC's look good, Nebraska's look good, a number of schools have looked good. He he definitely seems to like every school that he visits. If you're a college quarterback, I mean. The, the hit rate for Lincoln Riley or like a Ryan Day type is, is really pretty damn good. And adding Cliff Kingsbury to that staff, if you're a quarterback like Caleb Williams or Rayola, it, it's, it's, it's just not a negative. I don't really see a downside to it. Like I don't think Cliff's going to cause distractions, right? Uh, it's another guy to bounce ideas off who's been in the league, who lends even more credibility to your staff. If he wants to fly to Thailand on vacations, LAX is probably a perfect airport to do so. I mean, that's just – it seems like a win-win.
2: Yeah. I mean, the first news – remember it was kind of like, is he going to be the quarterback coach? That was the first Mm -hmm. report. And then it's confirmed now he's going to be an analyst, which makes a lot more sense considering he's probably still making money from Arizona. I mean, they just signed him to a deal too, which made Mm -hmm. zero sense. Remember they gave Kyler Murray, the GM, and Cliff all new deals. Kyler Murray, the only one who survived that. So he's still making a boatload of money from the Arizona Cardinals. He gets to live in L.A. Like, he's not going to go do this in Tuscaloosa or some small college town. Cliff has Big City written all over him. His Instagram model girlfriend can be happy because she can prance around L.A. and find good, you know, photo backgrounds. And for him, it keeps his name relevant. And if they have a good season and you know Caleb Williams backs up what he did last year, his name will be right back in there for head coaching gigs if that's what he wants. For the recruiting angle, I don't think you need Cliff at all because of Lincoln's success. The one thing you can't hang out there is, though, who's the greatest quarterback right now in the NFL? Patrick Mahomes, who was his coach? Cliff Kingsbury. Like That helps additionally. So I think it's one of those... Rich get richer as far as trying to recruit quarterbacks, but I don't. I don't think Cliff's going to do much. Like, yeah, bounce ideas off, but Lincoln is pretty. He's an offensive genius in his own mind. I don't think he wants people meddling in his business. Sure, I'll run some ideas by him, but I don't think this is like Cliff's going to be day to day helping him. You know, uh, pick apart the offensive game plan.
1: See, I think USC can do a whole hell of a lot more for Cliff than Cliff is going to do for USC because I think USC's offense was humming just fine without cliff it would probably be just fine if he didn't show up but i i think if you look at what happened i mean you mentioned in arizona cliff the gm and kyler all got contract extensions and kyler's the only one that's left because kyler's the only one that comes with a cap penalty if you get rid of him. but like that offense Kind of got a little sale and maybe that's on Kyler. Maybe that was the biggest problem of all of it. But I think that for Cliff, maybe joining USC staff as an analyst and working with Lincoln will help him update his playbook a little bit. So that way, if he gets an OC job or another head coaching job at the NFL, I think he probably have to be an OC. I think that would be more beneficial to him. So I think that's where the real value in this relationship is going to come from. Not that not that he's not of any use to USC and Lincoln Riley.
2: Muted, bud. The mic got you.
0: There we go. <laughs> All right. So the Cardinals really messed up there. Like, like to 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 defend Cliff here a little bit and the, the GM, I guess. They drafted Rosen. I'm not saying they should have stuck with Rosen because they, they clearly should not have. They went ahead and took Kyler right after drafting Rosen. And they they thought they liked Kyler. The worst guy to have on your football team in the NFL is a quarterback. Who's in that sort of like eight to 18 range who you're paying like he's a top five or top seven quarterback because he's not quite good enough to carry the rest of the team. You have to cut some important guys on your team. This is basically Kirk Cousins. Like Kirk Cousins is a really good quarterback, but he's not in that like top five to seven range. But you have to pay him like he is. That's why the teams that win the Super Bowl either have like a top five guy legit or they have a a top, you know, eight to 15 range guy on a rookie deal still. That's the only two types of, of teams that win the Super Bowl recently, you know. So I guess you can say Brady went top five. I think you're crazy if you don't think he was still playing at a really high level when you know I, it's the end of his career. But I still thought he was operating really well. Yes, he's still so Tom Brady. The problem is because they got heat for trading away Rosen and, and trading you know, to do what they did to, to be able to get, position to get Kyler and pick him number one. I think they felt they had to extend him and give him that big time money. It would take a lot of balls to say, you know what, we missed. He's a good player. He's not a great player. We're not going to pay him like a great player. But you kind of have to justify your decision making. So they they kind of threw good money after bad uh, d- decision, and thus they're stuck. I just it's hard to say we're not going to pay him. But it's a it was a disastrous a bad, a bad move.
2: It was a disastrous contract. They gave it to him a year earlier than they had to. Yeah, it's not going to pan out. It's going to you know hamstring the team um when you have to have a clause in there that you know caught a lot of heat and attention because he had to study film four hours a week that's mm-hmm. it that's all they wanted him to do and then they took it out like this th- this is an absolute mess and it's not going to work out any better so yeah but i give like cliff i do think he's a good offensive mind i know he gets a lot of heat because he lost to texas tech that's a really hard place to win at, te- at at arizona they did go to the playoffs last year and uh, kyler actually played okay then they lost deandre hopkins like I think he's a good offensive mind. I think he's probably overrated when it comes to the jobs that he's gotten. But yeah, what, for, he I'm, I'm totally on coach. board with Tom said. Like he, this is this brings more value to Cliff Kingsbury
0: than it does to USC, without question. He may just be a bad head coach, like manager yeah. of
1: staff type thing. Like there's no evidence that says a guy can't coach offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I will say, I do. I, I I know the Cardinals caught heat for it, but I do you think it was smart of them if you really didn't think josh rosen was the guy a year after drafting him just cut bait on him instead of yes. going for another two or three years and be like oh fingers crossed maybe he'll figure it out like if you pretty clearly and considering what's happened to josh rosen since i think they made the right decision on that but yeah kyler's kind of the jets should
2: really. do the same thing with zach wilson but they're trying to you know get something for him yeah. in return Why
1: why can't you text your boy aaron and ask him why he's not on the jets yet i mean right. <laughs> <working on> <laughs> um speaking of usc we'll start we'll start the podcast today with this question from rachel nine it's been about 20 years now since the dawn of pete carroll's usc dynasty mini dynasty looking back at it what do you remember the most from it how do you compare it to other runs like it and what do you think the lasting legacy of that era is I mean, for me, the most memorable thing of that is just Reggie Bush. That like awesome. me, th- those teams were really good, but Reggie Bush was like the box office. Like you tuned into a USC game just to see what Reggie Bush was going to do. So for me, that's the most memorable part of it. But I mean, they were they had really good teams. They were. He calls it a mini dynasty. I would say I think part of it is Alabama has kind of skewed what we think of dynasties in this sport are. Like most college football dynasties weren't really lasting for a decade, like. The three, four-year run is kind of what they were, and that's what USC was.
2: Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, two Heisman, same team. Um, I think quarterback you, I mean, you talk about quarterback you, the string they had with Carson Palmer, Sanchez, Leinart. I'm sure I'm probably forgetting, you know, there's a couple more that are in that. I also think of Pete Carroll, somebody who really, like it felt like he was such a good fit for usc mm-hmm. like his personality yeah. he was fun they bringing in snoop and will ferrell and pranking the team and and yet he's a pretty you know he's a highly competitive guy but i mean he's got the surfboard up now in his office in in seattle like he just for me a coach that really fit what usc was looking for and they've been trying to find and hopefully we'll see if lincoln riley captures that but I mean, it was it was
0: a ton of fun i love watching usc when they were good I mean, just the, the way that they just put the hammer down and
1: smoked teams, like like go, mm-hmm.
0: the, w- when they went into Auburn, was that fall of '03 or fall of
1: '04? Oh, Maybe fall. 03, I think. Because so '04 didn't Auburn go? Yeah,
0: yeah, I think it was fall of 03, and they just absolutely beat the crap out of that Auburn team in in <laughs> Jordan Hair. Um, the the way that they they killed that Iowa team, I mean, they they just what they did to Oklahoma was was insane. Um, you know they. It just competed so well. Like the, the practices were intense, but not like I, I agree with, with Daniel on the Pete Carroll aspect of, of how kind of laid back. He was like, they didn't take themselves too seriously, but they got their work done. Right. And I think that's something that, that, you know, is, is good to learn from. Um, so the recruiting was top notch. They really had writer first refusal for everybody on the West coast, you know, and like just, Put, you know, put their foot down on, on Oregon and everybody else out there um, and just some really special. They're good along the lines of scrimmage, too. Like they weren't just they, their skill, talent was great. Norm Chow was like, you know, really, really good
1: as their O.C., but they had some they had some dudes on defense. It, like, the first time I really because I remember when Pete Carroll got hired, it was the 2001 season and because I, I, you know he he was like a failure in the nfl pretty much exactly. as a head coach and i remember when usc hired pete carroll like i was you know I, I grew up in chicago i was a big ten notre dame fan so usc was you know like notre dame rival and i was like why the hell are they hiring pete carroll way to go usc because they'd been bad for a few years under Hackett at that point and i was like well usc is going to continue to stink but then in that 2002 season they started playing well I didn't really see him because not a lot of their games were on television in Chicago, but then at the end of the year, they played Notre Dame. So I watched that game and they crushed Notre Dame in that game. And then they went to the orange bowl. And I remember watching the orange bowl against Iowa and they crushed Iowa in that game. And that was like, you, you, like Carson Palmer was on that team and you kind of got i was it was my first glimpse I was like oh okay no USC is actually going to be good again I didn't think they would have the run that they had but it was like my first kind of signal that oh okay the Trojans are actually going to be pretty decent yeah. now. They, they went 54 and 10 and
0: played a pretty damn difficult non-conference schedule too in that time and you know played in those those BCS games that, yeah two natties right Al- almost a third
1: mm-hmm. so I mean that's It's pretty awesome. I also remember Pete Carroll then going to the NFL to get away from the NCAA things and thinking to myself, what the hell are the Seahawks hiring him for? Don't they remember how it worked in New England? And then, yeah, okay, so he won won Super Bowls. (laughs) He's a guy people like working for, right? Yes. Yeah, he's
0: very well liked. I think that's really a key, you know, to to longevity. Like Uh, Saban's hard to work for, but like talking to guys who, who have worked for Saban, they're like, he... He's not unpredictable, like, you know, manic. Some days he's cool, some days he's not. Like, it's very much like he's not trying to be your buddy, but there's really, really, like, clear expectations, and he grinds the heck out of you. But, like, it's not curveballs and stuff he didn't communicate to you. Apparently, like, it's very, like, direct. This is what this is what you have to do. I'm evaluating you only on your job, you know, that,
1: that type of thing, which I think coaches appreciate. Coming up on the other side, why is Tennessee's offense a cheat code? Yes, that's right. Danny's favorite new network, the CBS Sports Galazzo Network, the first of its kind free 24-7 channel dedicated exclusively to global soccer coverage, is now streaming on the CBS Sports app, Pluto TV, and of course, Paramount+. You get your morning started off on the right foot with Morning Footy, our weekday soccer culture-driven morning show beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern. Plus, don't miss the rest of our top-notch programming, including live matches and re-airs, original studio shows, highlights, documentaries, and much, much more. The CBS Sports Galazzo Network today. Yesterday, we had Champions League matches. Today, the Europa League and the Conference League are going on. Those will be on the Galazzo Network with studio co- coverage of all of it. Everything. If you like soccer, whether it's the, you know just any global soccer, the Champions League, Europa League, all of them, CBS Sports, the Galazzo Network 24-7, it is the place for you. Speaking of the place for people, Josh Heipel seems to have found... A pretty good place for himself in Knoxville, Tennessee. The Vols are coming off a very good season, one that was kind of, you know, I mean, Jordan has not stopped talking about it a million times. So this one comes from a listener who's not a Tennessee fan, at least not judging by his name. Gamecock Rob left a review a five-star review in apple podcasts which again is the best way to get your question on the show you leave that five-star review you leave your question and we will probably answer it on the show even if it's yelling at us and telling us how much we suck just as long as you give us five-star reviews but anyway gamecock rob doesn't think we suck in fact he says hey guys love the pod question y'all have said multiple times that tennessee hypo's offense is a quote cheat code in college football my question is then why don't all college teams run that offense is hypo just an elite play caller and not everyone can run that offense is or is there some other reason not everyone runs that style of offense so So, why is this a cheat code great question i I actually i know we say this on the show all the time i
0: figured i'd kind of write down my, my thoughts on this right everybody's seen this this offense how tennessee runs it it's it's really somewhat unique within the sport now they call it the beer and shoot it is basically what Bryles ran at baylor and the truest form of it like other guys who were on that staff have taken and sort of molded it and made, made it a little different like what tennessee runs is the closest thing to the original recipe and they call it the beer and shoot and i would too because like hypo and those guys weren't on that baylor staff so they don't want that stink on them and so totally like i'll, I'll we'll, we'll call it the beer and shoot all right, it's super wide receiver splits. They literally tell the receivers, we want you spitting on the sidelines. Like that's a coaching point, right? And the O-line splits are fairly wide as well. Not quite like what Leach did, uh, you know, RIP to the Pirate, but they're they're fairly wide. So to me, it's basically an offense of doesn't need and doesn't let. There's a lot of stuff this offense doesn't need to be successful, and there's a lot of stuff this offense doesn't let the defense do, which helps it be successful. So let's run through these. All right, here's what they don't need. Good quarterback talent, right? Like Hennon Hooker's getting his first-round hype, and I don't know, maybe he'll turn out to be good in the NFL. But the thing is, when Robert Griffin was at Baylor, he had the same numbers as the guy that came before him and the guy that came after him. And I bet you whoever plays in this offense will look just as good as the guys at UCF did. If Joe Milton's a guy, cool. If it's Nico, cool because you really don't need to be a good processor because they don't really run progressions and you don't need to make tight window throws because they do such a good job of scheming guys wide open their needs from the quarterback position are actually fairly limited you need to be able to throw an accurate over the top ball which people identify as arm strength but as Danny can tell you it's really that's a touch throw like driving those 20 yards out that that's an arm strength throw the the lollipop ball over the top is really a timing and kind of hand talent accuracy thing Right. So you don't need really good quarterback talent. Now, if you get it, you can do some fun things with the offense that maybe they'll do when they have Nico. You don't need guys at offensive tackle who are good dropback pass protectors because they run play action on an incredibly high percentage of their pass plays. So if you think, yeah, these tackles they have are more built like guards or kind of stocky, they know it and they're fine with it. Now, would they like to have elite offensive tackles? Yeah, they actually had one this year. They got a Uh, good one this year, yeah. Yeah, exactly, and it was pretty cool, and that that helps. It's not that they would turn it down, but it's the fact that they can have success with sort of middling personnel at some of the more premium positions that we typically think of, right? Quarterback, tackle, those are like elite premium positions, and they can make it work with just average guys because they can hide some of those deficiencies. They also don't need receivers who are do-it-all guys they definitely will take a guy or two who all like their only skill is fast, right? You good route runner. No acceleration. Not really. Can, do, do you stop? Start. How's your head? Like don't need it. Just be fast. And what they'll do is they'll take the guy, they'll put him in the slot. They'll run these stack releases to where the guy doesn't have to have a real release at all. Cause you can't jam him. And he's getting a head start of a couple steps. He's hitting top speed at 6 or 7 yards and he's getting matched up on a safety on these slot choice routes and so they are throwing it off play action or give him time to get downfield. He's going full speed. He's almost never matched up with a corner and he's beating a safety like it's not people are like hey what the the receiver Tennessee had this year the slot not not Tillman but um uh what's his name? Now I'm why am I blanking on this? Hyatt? Hyatt. We're like will Hyatt translate to the NFL? We don't know. <laughs> like, I, does the guy? Can the guy have any releases? Does he run yeah. routes? He's fast as hell. And Tennessee is like, we're going to use the skill you do have to put you in a position to succeed, okay? We're not trying to score points in the NFL. We're trying to score score points in college football because that is where we play. So that's a really, really big part of it, right? They are able to take guys with limited skill sets and feature them quite a bit. Ask DeMarco Helms of Alabama how that went for them. Because it, I mean, you may be able to cover Hyatt if you could get your hands on him, but if he's running full speed because he's four yards back and that stack release and he's getting a head start, that's a really pretty hard. Yeah, exactly on the screen there, Craig. You know, as he pointed out, if you're watching this on YouTube, please do. If you're watching this on Twitter, by the way, because we're live streaming this to Twitter, I'm not always going to put this on Twitter. Make sure you guys subscribe to our YouTube channel. All right, so that's kind of the stuff it doesn't need. Now here's what it doesn't let the defense do, because mainly the splits and the tempo. You can't play base personnel against this because they are more of a spread-type team, okay? There are some spread teams that like to do some of these condensed formations. I know that sounds weird, but, like, spread personnel, condensed formations. You can play some base against it. Tennessee, you really can't, okay? Like, look at the LSU game. Harold Perkins was a non-factor. They basically formationed him out of the game. Now, you have to play five or probably six defensive backs. How many teams have five or six good defensive backs? Illinois. Not, okay, Illinois, sure. Illinois is a team that probably would have limited Tennessee this year. It's actually a good example. And they would not have scored enough points to win the game, most likely with with their own offense. But like, very few teams have enough defensive backs to actually man these guys up or, or to match them up. Now, Georgia did. And we'll get to that in a second because I, I, I know that will be the, the obvious thing, and, and we'll get to how they did that. But they will find the duck, basically, the guy who can't cover – And they'll just exploit it cheat code style over and over again. You know, like against Bama, like Helms is projected to be a decent pick, Mm -hmm. right? Like he doesn't, the guy doesn't suck. He just, the skill set's not there to cover a dude flying downfield on that slot choice stuff. So you also really can't go all out pass rush because, like I mentioned, their play action on so many types of throws. Almost all their pass plays have some play action element or RPO. Like they're firing off the ball. It looks like run. Tennessee's a team that really does emphasize physical run despite their quote-unquote spread offense. You also can't blitz. You really can't bluff your blitz, and you can't really run sim pressures. And the reason is because it's hard to blitz from depth and width, right? So because Tennessee has you so spread out, like, like, yeah, I'm going to bring a backer. Okay, well, where are you bringing him from? Are you bringing him from seven yards out and five deep because he has to at least pretend like he's going to walk out and cover this slot? Good luck. You're never going to get home on that. Or are you going to walk him up? If you walk him up, you got two options. You bring him, and you hope he gets home before it gets out. But you really can't bail. That's the thing is you can't run some of these sim stuff because, like, if you're a backer and you're bluffing your blitz, you gotta you gotta haul ass out of there and get back to your landmark, right? But if I got you so spread out, I know you ain't never getting to that landmark. So if you're here, you're either coming or I'm throwing it behind you, right? And you better get me because like I just spatially that's part of the thing with spreading these guys out so much like this if you understand how to run it which we'll get to this why does everybody do this it's mm-hmm. kind of you know trade secret type stuff but it really kills your ability to blitz to run sim pressures and to run a lot of disguises you know, like like the, good luck rolling coverage when when they're using all 55 and a half of the field
1: danny how uh, badly do you wish you played in this offense
0: oh I'd
2: have loved it and
0: i but i have not
2: even talked about tempo yet yeah, like right. how fast you also can't going. sub. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, and so, like, you're trying to disguise, you're trying to sub, and they're coming at you a million miles an hour with play after play after play. And I, you know, I remember going back to, uh, I had a Baylor game when Art Browse was there. And I remember sitting down with him in, like, in our production meeting, and, you know, I was like, I was like, man, I was, and it was the first time I had covered him. I'm like, you guys run the ball pretty effectively. And he was yeah. like, duh. I mean, he was kind of <laughs> like annoyed. He was like, I he he was genuinely annoyed. He's like, people think all we do is throw the football. He's like, I want to, I want to run the football. And I think Tennessee is the same way. That's where Hypo yes. gets from it. This year, I thought they they didn't run it as much as they did last year. I think you might see a return to that for Tennessee. Um I would have loved it. I mean, you get in so like I I put down spacing and box counts as well. Like spacing is the width of the field, what you're talking about alignments. And then it just makes everything that much clearer. Cause a lot of times a quarterback, you'll get a check with me. And you know, are there six guys in the box? If there's six, you're gonna run it. If there's seven, and most basic, you know, check with me box count type of stuff. And I remember being at Florida State. And it was kind of dicey, like, is that backer in the box or not? You'd have to go with it. Or was he disguising in the box? And then he, sometimes he'd look like it was there, so you check to a pass, but then he would, you know, buzz out of there really fast, and you're like, oh, crap, he batted down the pass. Like, you are able to recognize much clearer You know, where your guys are on the defensive side of the ball, like Bud was talking about, they can't cheat in or cheat out or else you've got a response to that. Like you'll flip it out there to the guy in the slot. You'll make a quick decision. Um, All of them, I think, so let's follow up with the question. I'm curious to know what you guys think.
0: Why doesn't everybody do it? I mean, I think we can go back to when did Heupel start running this, Mm -hmm. right? He was extremely tight with Jeff Levy when they were both players at Oklahoma. But he didn't run this when he first got to Mizzou, right? He didn't run it until they hired the tight ends coach, uh, JJ, right, who came over, and I I think he basically got it from him. Yeah. So that's to say those guys on that tree are extremely secretive about this. They just won't talk about it. They don't do coaching clinics about it. Like like most of the stuff we know about it just from guys who have tried to study. But, like, there are a lot of little – Intricacies of this thing that coaches ask and don't know. And those guys just, they don't, they keep their mouth shut. They shut up about it. So you could say, like, I, I can kind of explain kind of how, how why it works, but I can't necessarily tell you how it works. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't know the little coaching points and nuances of it. And I don't, and a lot of other coaches don't know either. So we could say, yeah, run this. At the high school level, probably. Right. Like you can go, but at the college level, some of the adjustments they make and we should give credit to as a play caller, I think. Like he's a very yeah. good play caller and understands when to tweak it a little bit, understanding how, how the defense is sort of like not blatantly cheating, but like micro cheating and, and kind of, you know, call against it. Um, I think it's hard to do
1: if you didn't grow up in the system. Mm-hmm. They I, don't I, also, care. <laughs> I also think part of it, the reason why everybody, not everybody runs it is I think it depends on what you're, goal is as a program like if you look at the programs that have run this type of offense traditionally you had Leach running it at Texas Tech UCF was doing it Baylor was doing it. Now Tennessee's doing it. It's typically like Tennessee is probably the quote unquote biggest brand kind of national title contender to run it. But as Bud was saying at the top, part of the cheat code aspect of the offense is you don't need great players. But if you're Alabama and what you're selling is NFL, 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 we're going to get you to the NFL. This is an offense that really hasn't caught on in the NFL yet. I think we're seeing more of it. And I think that it's probably going to start just becoming a bigger you know part of the nfl offense but like we're talking about Jalen hyatt can he play offense in the nfl no idea and a lot of the receivers from these offenses, we've seen, they don't have a high hit rate because most of them in college weren't really doing the kind of things that NFL offenses are asking the receivers to do. So I think that's probably why, because Alabama doesn't need to run this offense. Alabama can just overpower you and overwhelm you with its talent. And I think that if you are a team that doesn't have that caliber of player, you are much more likely to want to run a system like this or just any kind of system that gives you an advantage over the team with more talent than you do.
0: Also the hash marks. Like the, the, the games they play with sort of the boundary field splits mm-hmm. in the NFL, they're not as wide. Right. So like you don't have the dramatic declarations of defense and, and, and some, some of the three by one stuff you do is is different because of the width of, of the hash marks.
2: I'll push back a little bit cuz I think you uh bud downplayed the importance of quarterback a little bit. It's a QB. I got to defend some of these guys. I think you have to be an outstanding decision maker. Like yeah, they scheme guys open, but you got to know where there might be, you know, single high safety, two high safety read where you're saying, "All right, if this this is the guy schemed open versus this defense, this is the guy schemed up versus that one, I mean, when you have a quarterback who threw 58 touchdowns and five interceptions over the course of two years, that is outstanding decision-making. And even going back to RG3, I mean, he was completing. Remember this, I, he was the first quarterback I remember saying had more touchdown passes than incompletions. Mm-hmm. Like, it was insane, yeah. the stuff that he was doing. So I do on think... On deep you, throws, too. Like, yeah. on, this yeah, is yeah, not dink and dunk, dink air and raid. Dunking. Yeah, exactly. He was stretching the field vertically. So I think you, I, you don't have to have... A Trevor Lawrence or a, you know, Andrew Luck or a generational type talent. I'm actually higher on Hendon Hooker than most, uh, you know, coming out of the draft and he's starting to get some, you know, momentum mm-hmm. as it gets closer. But I do think, you know, and I mean, Joe Milton did get the, he, he was given the first opportunity and couldn't maintain it, you know, like, so they're going to find somebody yeah. that's going to make those decisions. But I think, you know, the quarterback clearly, you know, helps in that situation. I would also say, the thing about this offense why you wouldn't want to do it, and we're seeing that dynamic at Mississippi State. We talked about it the other day with Zach Arnett. Defensive coach, if you're it's great if you're rolling and you're putting mm-hmm. up points, but if you start getting three and outs, this one, two, three, and your defense is back out there, there can be some very uh, you know, st- stressful conversations taking place on the sideline, like, hey. Can we just mix in a little bit of slow tempo? And the don't want to. They don't want it because then it's a rhythm right. based. You start to find your flow, and you lose some of your advantages when you do huddle or go slower. So that can be a dynamic that some coaches, I think, especially when there's a defensive coach, you know, head coach with a defensive mind, he might not want that on the other side of the ball. So there's also that kind of. You have to get every everybody bought in on both sides of the ball of what you're trying to do offensively.
0: I, I think that's that's really fair. Um, the other reason why you wouldn't run in the NFL is, I think more teams are capable of doing in the NFL what Georgia did to this, right? Mm-hmm. Which like Georgia had the personnel up front to play light box on, on 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 Tennessee, right? And basically, what I mean by that, and Nolan Smith talked about this at the combine. People are like, oh, they they doubted us because we were you know blah blah blah, and, and he was basically referencing the what they did with this light box. So. They were able to play like five defenders in the box and still control the run game or you know, like five and a half type stuff, as opposed to most teams that are gonna have to keep six in the box. Now, Georgia, like it's a really good strategy to have players that are the absolute like freakiest of the freaks at almost all your spots in college football. Like that's a winning strategy on defense typically. And they beat them up front, right? They they also like they thought they did a nice job of confusing the offensive line some which was good. But, I mean, they whipped him up front. Georgia was just physically much better. And to Danny's point about how, like, look, the, with the run game here, it is a box count type stuff. The read was clear, run it. And then the result was clear. Georgia's going to whip you. Now, it, this is kind of like if Tennessee gets really, really good players up front, not just at one spot but more, and if, the, if Nico turns out to be what we think he can be or maybe if Milton is that much more accurate – I, I think it's it's really tough. As to, like, why more college teams don't run it, other than the fact that, um, like we said, it's hard to teach if you didn't come up in this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of it here is I think more teams may run it as become as it becomes a little more widespread or some kind of version of it. As like, administrators and head coaches start to evaluate defense and offense more based on like efficiency factors rather than just total points right because okay. al- allowing 30 points is a pretty good measure efficiency yeah. wise but traditionally it looks bad if, if you're the dc opposite one of these
2: you know what else makes it tougher uh to win when you have 15 false starts or however many they have.
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's true too
2: there were into like the scheme aspect i remember too and I remember I remember one to Jalen Hyland where they had schemed a guy open and hooker overthrew it like and yep. those were throws that he made. I'm not saying it would have, you know, Tennessee would have won the game, but it
1: changes the complexion of the game somewhat if he hits on one or two of those. All right. So we know that Josh Heupel has a cheat code. Let's move to another question with a coach that maybe needs to find his own cheat code. This one comes from Max Brown in the chat today. <laughs> Everyone talks about how bad Dan Mullen left Florida and is down on Billy Napier and almost putting him on the hot seat, but kept saying that Florida state's Mike Norvell needs more time after three bad years. Why not the same energy? Mm. Let's let's
0: talk about the premise of this question. (laughs) uh uh Oh, uh -oh. here come the knolls. Sporting his gear today too. Oh yeah. Look at that. No cast. Um, (laughs) All right. So did Mullen leave Florida in that bad of a situation, or did he leave them in a not Georgia situation? Because I thought he left a, not a Georgia situation. <laughs> a first round pick and, and maybe the second best offensive line in the SEC is not a, a terrible thing to have. Uh, how many SEC title games did Mullen go to? Two. Okay. Was Napier's first year during COVID? Did he take over for a guy that had missed bowl games? Like three consecutive years? No. Okay. So I don't know who this everyone is, but they, they're they kind of just – they probably should shut up. <laughs>
1: I think he's just talking also, about this show because like, it's us. Putting...
2: Didn't, it says more time after three bad years at FSU. I thought last year was pretty good for FSU. Yeah. Like it wasn't up to their standards, and they had three losses in a row, but they still were a 10-win team for the first time in almost a decade. Um, yeah, I don't – I think the energy is different for a reason, you know. Like I, I just think it's completely different, and I, I do think there were some fans that reached out to me after the second year, because you get COVID year, you get a pass. And so I mean, unless you played in some schools that were just made ridiculous decisions after a COVID year, but you get a pass. And then that second year was probably disappointing, but you saw a team fight back. I thought that, you know, showed effort, almost made the bowl, came up shortened against Gainesville. And you could see, if you watched what you were, if you knew what you were looking for and looking for a locker room, a team that had bought into a culture, you started to see glimpses of that that 2021 season and then last year it paid off and you started to see the the start of a turnaround and i'll be the first one to say i think florida fans are crazy to throw the towel in this early it might be the wrong one but it doesn't do you any favors to be out there making rumblings now about billy napier being the wrong guy i did see though that they are nine point underdogs to utah on the road seven point underdogs to tennessee at home it might be another rough year for the gators and then i don't i can't help you cuz i probably defended willie taggart too long too um that was a dumpster fire you know but are we
0: uh are we sure cam rising is going to be 100% by that game like that that nine pointer kind of surprises me i'm i'm not firing surprised me yet. too
1: I'm i just don't just think cam kinda... rising has ever been 100% with you, honestly i can't it's like That it was an acl tear deal. right yeah like yeah it, i don't know we'll see i doubt it i we could i don't know like i'm still on the old kind of timetable for acls where i used to think oh done for at least a year but you're starting to see guys come back from them a lot quicker and sooner. nine months i feel like is the new new year (laughs) yeah yeah just with the advancements they've got with treating it um one more question before we hit a break this one kind of hits a little a little close to my heart because i know i was in a similar position not that long ago uh this one comes from harp dad incredible show guys locks are appointment listening and your off season analysis is second to none i'm a syracuse season ticket holder in my early 30s so just old enough to remember the mcnabb harrison teams I, I don't know who that harrison guy is uh would a program like syracuse be better served in terms of national relevance by dropping down to the g5 level is being a punching bag in the acc as valuable as being a punching bag in the big 10 or sec in terms of taking the L's just to get the checks
0: yes because you care about basketball and you want that that power five money like there are certain i i fought with some people on twitter yesterday after after cole came on the show and i was like look to me there are seven programs in the sec that have never won the sec title you know since expansion and will not win the sec title like we could play another 70 years of the the sec however long it's been around and it they, they won't win one because you have to have a certain minimum level of talent to get it. But you know those schools also, like Ole Miss, just won a national title in baseball. Mississippi State has a proud baseball program, and I think they also care about basketball. Arkansas also cares about basketball. Vanderbilt, obviously, building a huge golf facility, really cares about baseball. They, they try not to suck at basketball. I'm sure South Carolina likes some other sports too. Women's basketball there is good, right? So, Mm -hmm. like, you can do things with that check that you're getting for taking the losses that aren't doing things in that sport in which you're taking the losses, you know? So, I think Syracuse is better in the ACC.
2: Would they? So, I thought, you know, I did this on the radio show a little bit uh, in the aftermath of UConn's national championship game because UConn made a decision that was criticized at the time like how could you leave the american and the football money that's there and basically put your football program on the back burner and go all into the big east uh you know and turn it into a a football or a basketball school again like where you originally cut your ties or or like cut your teeth and became known as a basketball school would syracuse Could they possibly do something like that and be find it advantageous if they went, all right, let's join the Big East or a basketball conference. Let's go independent football and try to, you know, really kind of just own who we are if we're never really going to be a power player in football.
1: I think Syracuse needs to stay in the power five simply because the only thing I know about Syracuse as far as a school is that it is a place that just turns out play by play announcers. And if you're not in a power five conference, how will your students get the experience they need calling big games? You know, like an eagle won't get that big game voice calling a game against Temple. He's gonna need to do it against Florida State. Well, they can do it against
2: they could do it in basketball. They get the basketball experience. Syracuse mafia and broadcasting is real.
1: It's it's nuts. (laughs) I I think I mean it just it really depends what your priorities are. Like if if you want to have money in your athletic department to fund other sports, being in a power five conference will help, even if you're getting your butt kicked as a football team. That said, if you are a fan of that school and football is the sport you like. It sucks because I remember, you know, I, I, it was a half, it was like a tongue-in-cheek joke. But when I was running the champagne room back in the day, I wrote a story on Illinois football. It's, it was just, it was like, do you just sometimes wish Illinois was in the MAC for football because at least that way we would win some games and at least enjoy it instead of getting our heads caved in. Thankfully, a lot has changed since then. And Illinois football is enjoyable. But I, I get where it's coming from. But I do think. As a school overall, you'd, you'd much rather be in a Power 5 program just for – because when I think of Syracuse, I don't think of football. I think of basketball. I think of Jim Beheim and that annoying zone defense and really tall, long guys just standing there making it a pain in the butt for you to pass through it.
2: They'll always have 2018, 10-3. Mm-hmm. Holy cow, how did that happen? Things, by the way, are not going to get any easier. Saw the story. You know how they, they have the celebrities that come courtside and that booster pays for them? Yes, yes. You see the story about him? No chancellor, I guess, pissed him off. This Uh Adam Weitzman, I think his name is. And he's like, I'm done. He's like, I don't, he's like, if they're not going to give me support and the guy complains about it, he's like, I'm out. He said he was, he openly said he was ready to give $2 million to the NIL and to pay players. And the chancellor was worried about the NCAA getting in trouble. So the guy's like, I'm out. I mean, you talk about a chancellor that should be on the hot seat for wow. telling. I mean, how hard those pe those guys do not fall off trees, and you tick them off, and that that was great for the program. Like they've yeah. Tom Brady, you know, Julian Edelman was sitting courtside. Jimmy Fallon, he's the guy funding them, and now that now he's done, he said, "I'm out
0: of here." I uh, speaking of Syracuse. Well, I have a question about UConn and and what they did. Do they have a TV deal? Like like what channel do they play on? So I don't really watch college basketball.
2: Well, I think it's Big East is FS1, right? And Fox. Yeah, Big
0: East has FS1 and Fox. Okay. So they make decent money off that, we think? For basketball, and yeah. They but...
2: get, um, I mean, they get a bonus for winning the title, you know, the deeper you run the tournament? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the deeper like you go that, in the right. tournament, the more shares you get. But I will say, like, the Big East, well, college basketball money is never going to be anything near football it is the big east is a valuable college basketball property compared to other leagues because it's like you know the sec and the big 10 there's more interest in that footprint for the college basketball product than there is you know compared comparatively from football to other parts of the country so they get decent tv money as far as basketball is considered for it yeah gotcha okay
2: it's a lot um, cheaper to operate too you only have 15 mm-hmm.
0: players you know syracuse lost some really good guys out that defense by the way I mean, Jihad Carter's gone. Um, Deuce Chestnut's gone. Steve
1: Linton's gone. That's that's yeah, going to be another rough year for the Orange. That's uh, problematic, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully they can score 40 points a game to help get them over that. Uh, coming up on the other side, speaking of basketball, in college basketball, a lot of players are declaring for the draft, but they have the chance to come back. Should college football consider the same kind of approach in the future? Next. All right, before we get to the one question I want to get to, I want to highlight another question that was asked for a specific reason. Trent Morlidge asked earlier, if you could take one quarterback, one running back, and one wide receiver from each team's history, thinking all time, which school would you say has the most talented trio? Trent, that's an incredible question. We love it. But this is also the kind of question that would be best used in the Apple podcast reviews because that way it gives us time to prepare. So we're not going to answer this one today, but I promise you this is going in the list of questions we are going to discuss on a future show and if you have a question like that again leave a five-star review on apple put it in there we see it ahead of time i let the gang know or chip does most weeks lets the gang know the question is coming and gives us a chance to put it together and not just you know try to riff off the top of our heads about great players of all time
2: you know what else that sounds like we should do we should draft those so yes i yes you know
0: like we do our draft for the year like the current teams we need to do the draft the all-timers I put a handy guide together for where your question should go if it's a quick react. It should go in the chat if it requires some research, like before the show research, because we typically well, we say we pull these on, on Monday uh, for, for our Thursday show. Sometimes we pull them kind of Wednesday night. But anyway, uh, if it requires some research, you definitely want to go ahead and put them in Apple podcast with that five star review, so we can actually look at them and, and think about it before the show. It makes better answers.
1: <laughs> All right. Now, here's a question that is good for the live show because it doesn't really require too much thought. This one comes from Doug Kennedy. Do you? Think think players who are undrafted should be able to return to college? Oklahoma punter Michael Turk remains the only person to have done that when he declared for the draft in 2020 and later returned to school. Now, college basketball has it where you can enter the draft and maintain your eligibility as long as you pull out it before a certain deadline. But if you leave and you stay out and you go undrafted, you can't return, at least as far as I'm aware, you can't. This question is saying if you maintain your eligibility through the draft and nobody takes you instead of signing as an undrafted free agent, should you then be able to return to your college team?
2: Yes, absolutely. And I say, why stop at undrafted? Like baseball, you can get drafted in baseball. You can be a first-round pick, you know, second-round pick in baseball, and you can negotiate. You can see what the offer is. And if it's not what you like, you can go to college and enroll. You know, I just... If, if like, if all the things, like, that are player-friendly and, like, you want to, you know, be pro player, this I think would really help guys who make poor decisions or are given bad guidance. Now, you don't feel as bad lately because of NIL. There are guys that have made a little bit of money or have a little bit more information of, oh, I could stay and make more money. But for a long time, there were guys that just had to, because of their home situations, they needed to put, you know, uh, you know, help their families out. So they would turn pro, and you'd see it all the time. They would expect to be a second or third round pick; they'd be a fifth or sixth, or they'd expect to be a late round pick. They didn't get drafted, and their, you know, careers can get derailed because you know you'd be crazy to think your draft position doesn't affect your ability to make the team. Like the higher drafted you are, the more they're they're invested, and the better chance you are to make it and stick. I think this is great. I think it's I wish I wish they would look into this. I don't know if they would though. Um, the NFL would hate it if you got drafted and they started losing draft picks. Like, mm-hmm. wait a second, hold on. We drafted you in the third round. That's a pretty good draft pick, and you're not gonna join us. I they mean, would get some serious pushback from the NFL.
0: But the, the NCAA and the NFL is like, hey, will you please start a minor league so that we can keep our amateur status? And the NFL is like, no. <laughs> we, we, we won't do that. We'll, we'll have you like shoulder all the player development costs from ages 18 to 22. This could be a fun little way for the NCAA to jab at the NFL. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Come on back. You don't like your draft stock enough. I will say I think there would be – or do you think – there would be pushback from coaches on this because like the way that the recruiting calendar and all that kind of works, like I already know college basketball coaches are suffering migraines from trying to put their roster together for the next season while wondering if this kid who declared for the draft, is he going to come back? Is he going to go? Do I need to replace him? What do I need to do? Do you think football coaches would be all on board with this idea of, okay, he's declared for the draft. Do I have to replace him? I'll just wait until the end of April to find out. College coaches would
0: be because anybody who's gonna come back is a guy that internally I think the college coach is thinking this guy's making a mistake I really wish we could have him for one more year you and more, high school coaches would hate it, because I, it would take it would delay the recruiting process a little bit more because you got to like maybe hold a roster spot or two for a guy who maybe made a bad call and wants to come back coaches are more willing and able to
2: deal with these types of roster management moves because of NIL and transfer portal, like it's just now they would. I think they would hate it, like your Tom you're talking about. But I think they would figure it out and be able to adjust to it. And if they get a good player back, like I saw Sark, you know, was pretty bold the other day. Said, "Hey, if somebody enters the portal, they're done." That's his prerogative. That's what he can do. But some coaches, you get a little more desperate. And I think it'd be interesting what type of player. Like if there was a five star that was really good that entered the transfer portal, I think Sark might reevaluate that. But that could be a Uh, You know, a coach decision. Hey, if you declare for the draft, you're done here. We need to move on. But there'd be another place you could play.
1: I also do think that it's NIL obviously has plays a big part in this, too. But I think that this would be good for the quality of the sport in that a player who might be, you know, borderline NFL draft prospect leaves but comes back. Well. We already know he's a good, solid college football player. So it kind of like you see in college basketball now all the time. There are more talented teams because guys who are borderline guys are staying in school longer because they don't have to go right away. So you would see that same kind of situation, whereas maybe you're not relying on an inexperienced freshman and you've got more of a veteran junior still going on. But the problem on the other side of that coin that college basketball coaches deal with when that's the case, those freshmen who aren't playing, they get that one free transfer and they are going quick. Um, All right. Speaking of NIL, this question comes from Donnie the Tsunami. Do you think we will start seeing high-level recruits walk on to programs in the future? NIL money could allow these big recruits to walk on to programs while saving a scholarship.
0: No. We get this all the time. Here's the thing. You're not getting enough guys in a class to where you're like, hey, we need one more spot to have this kid walk on you know i i I poked fun at florida yesterday their their collective got bought or or transferred ownership or whatever and and appears to be in better hands i guess than it was which is not necessarily a high bar but they announced they had nil deals with 64 guys and i was like does florida have 64 guys that are like nil quality good and i think they just didn't make a statement it's probably a pretty smart you know pr move obviously but you just don't have that many guys on your roster who are that good there's also like and Danny, you can talk to this. It it's there's a certain status to being a scholarship guy as opposed to a walk-on. And there are things you get that you could pay for, but you just you want to get them so you're it, it's it's an inclusive thing. Don't you think though it could like I don't think a five-star is
2: gonna walk on, but a really good three-star. Like I think it could be somewhere you could stack some talent that's a little like you could go deeper with scholarship quality guys who may just want to go to Bama or Texas or Ohio State as opposed to somewhere else. I do think it is something that's a possibility, especially if these teams do have deeper pockets and you could start seeing depth. You could really start building depth
0: of talent as opposed to oh we just have 85 scholarship, you know, available the one spot i could see this happening potentially but this is not a high level recruit thing it's to danny's point but it's it's the very late cycle hey this guy hurried up graduated wants to come we don't have a scholarship left you have to pay your own way but we'll kind of wink wink supplement you Mm -hmm. with nil uh during your one graduate year right to where you're not really making money but you're not necessarily going into debt paying for school
1: yeah i i i think we'll probably see a couple guys do it i don't think it's going to be ever be like a trend though like
0: it's just not, it, not high level guys
1: yeah like you might see a couple dudes who are like all right yeah for sure if because i just really want to go here and the school wants them it's just they don't have the scholarship room so you'll see it occasionally but I, I i yeah i don't see this being the hot new trend although there's always somebody that tries to find a loophole to exploit. So maybe somebody will try it and we'll see how that goes. And if it causes a ruckus, Um, Yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Speaking of walk ons, we'll, we'll walk off. Uh, (laughs) I am going to watch the NBA play in on Friday night between the Miami heat and the Chicago bulls. This is a play in positive podcast because Jordan and I, Jordan, for those who don't understand or know he lives in knock in Nashville, but he's a Oklahoma city thunder fan which I'm not quite sure how that happened but he's a thunder fan they won their Kevin playing Durant game Westbrook, last night. right mm-hmm. <laughs> the bulls won so friday's going to be huge for me and baby moon rooting our teams on we really want them to get to the playoffs so they can lose in the first round to a better team so that's my plans this weekend what are yours uh, i'm going to fsu's spring game and then
0: i will uh, got to turn around and uh haul back to orlando for ot7 that's like the big uh, big seven on seven tournament nationally they have five regionals and then a a national final so So all the best guys in the country be there yeah
1: yeah it's busy work again i'll be sitting on the couch for most of mine (laughs) watching baseball maybe some golf who knows who knows we'll see uh he is bud elliott you can follow him on twitter at bud elliott three he was danny cannell You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. I'm Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Tom Fernelli. And we will be back on Monday with a new show. Maybe we'll get Chip out of prison by then. Maybe we won't. Who knows? We'll see. See you guys Monday. Thanks for listening. Stay dry, Dan.